You're listening to the Spiro Avenue Show. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch our full shows and clips and highlights on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Shout out, lots of love, all the affection in the world for our sponsor, Virgil's Vineyard, who features the wonderful, delicious, delectable, finest wine in town, the Smuggler's Son. And for friends of Spiro Avenue, check them out, virgilsvineyard.com. If you use the discount code SPIRO at checkout, S-P-I-R-O, you get a 10% discount and it will be the best money you ever spent. I mean, this, this thing drinks like $150, $200 bottle of wine. It's the best buy in town. Check them out, virgilsvineyard.com. Don't forget, discount code SPIRO, S-P-I-R-O, at checkout for that 10% discount. Love them. They're great people, great wine. So we've had a number of guests over the years on this show and a few dozen since we switched to the video format. It's been fun. And we've been turned on a lot along the way. And someone who's been very unavailable because he's in high demand and he doesn't live all that close is the man across from me now, pound for pound, pen for pen, ink for ink, one of the finest writers in the country right now for my money, Colton Pouncey from The Athletic. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And I think part of it is just, I'm just terrible at responding to messages, but uh, I'm glad we we're able to make this work. <laughs> and I'm like the opposite. I'm like hyper aware of my messages. So if someone, <laughs> if someone doesn't respond in like 10 minutes, they get the ZZZ text from me. Sure. But no, I know you're in high demand and, <laughs> and that's the case when you are good at what you do and you have the big platform. So you are the Michigan State football writer for The Athletic. I would say 95% of our audience watching now has some affiliation or affection for Michigan State. So we're not going to talk about the weather. We're not going to talk about Disney World. It's going to be a Michigan State meat sandwich. If that's not your thing, you're probably not watching right now. And if it's not your thing and you're going to hang in there, great, because Colton's worth it. Honestly, one of the finest writers in the country across from me now. Stuff that I say when you're not here, Colton. Believe me. It's good to know. <laughs> yeah, you're fantastic. So Year one of the Mel Tucker era in the books. Now, you know, somewhat in the rearview mirror. We're a couple months since that final game. Just now that we have some separation from the, the conclusion, how did it go? How do you sum up year one of the Mel Tucker era? I think first you got to start with, do you even call it year one? You know, a lot of people I've seen them kind of go year zero. If they're calling this year, year one, one and a half, whatever you want to say. Um, but I, you know, you can't really grade this year on a regular curve, on a reg regular, um, you know, standard, because they played a shortened season, didn't have a full fall camp to really get going, did not have a spring. So, I mean, at least in my writing, I try to be aware of that and make that known that, hey, this is not normal in any, any you know, any way at all. And so um, when I think about the season, obviously it didn't go great, like two and five, not great. I think what the season kind of exposed is some issues with the town on the roster. Um, they're still trying to figure out like, you know, who's a fit in a four two five scheme. Um, who's a player to build around going forward. And uh, I still think that's a work in progress. I mean, year one is always going to be tough. You got to kind of lay a foundation that first year. And I think they're still doing that. Um, I think, you know, based on what I've seen from the, the talent acquisition and what they're trying to do, I think they will be better next year. There's no guarantee of that, I guess. But I mean, I think they're trending in the right direction. And I think it was good to play that first year. So Mel Tucker and his staff can figure out, okay, who do we like here? Who do we want to build around? Who do we want to move forward with? And which guys are maybe on the, taking a backseat in year two? And this was, for a number of reasons, a very weird season. And it was a weird season for everybody because you're dealing with COVID and are we going to play? Are we not going to play? Cancellations. 
There's times where, you know, 48 hours before kickoff around the country, we don't know if we're playing that day. Mm-hmm. So that's that's built in. That's everybody that that, that kind of washes out with everybody else. The reason this season is particularly weird or was weird for Michigan State, at least for me as a Spartan, someone that cares deeply about them, as you can probably guess from your surroundings here. Great setup. It, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. It was the weirdest, rewarding two-win season in the history of college football, where <laughs> you have that opening loss to Rutgers. It looks like it's going to be a shit show for however many games they end up playing. I mean, nine or whatever. No faith. I had my friends. I, I feel like I have to answer for Michigan State if anything goes wrong. Like I have a lot of Michigan fan friends, and so yeah. I, my phone just blowing up about how bad the Michigan game is going to be after that first opening loss to Rutgers. And you end up getting away from the season with two extremely enjoyable wins, huge double-digit underdogs to Michigan, your rival, and then Northwestern. I'm wondering. To what extent do you put value on those wins? I know a lot of people are saying it's a wash. It's year zero. That's a Tara Stafford, a friend of mine who's been on the show too. She refuses to call it year <laughs> one. She, she got mad at me for even calling it year one. It's, it's yeah. year zero. But those results are not nothing. That's Is that not a tangible sign, those two wins collectively, of something in its infancy maybe, but still building something here? Yeah, honestly, like it's interesting because before the season – I wasn't sure what to make of them. It's, I figured, you know, and when Mel Tucker was at Colorado, he had a couple wins that probably shouldn't have gotten. I think that they kind of outperformed some games. Uh, I think they beat Arizona State in that first year, and I think there were some other games where they were competitive at least. Um, so I figured, you know, we could have that similar effect at Michigan State, even though I thought that this was going to be a rebuild and it's going to be a process. Then that Rutgers game came along, and I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a rough season. Um, you know, seven was six, seven turnovers in that first game, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and for them to come back that next week and I think what 24 point underdogs in that yes. next, against Michigan, like nobody expected them to win. I didn't expect them to win. And for them to come out with that sort of effort, you know, the defensive line really controlled the line of scrimmage. Um, I thought Antoine Simmons had one of his best games of his career against Michigan. Um, I thought they really came to play and Rocky Lombardi was just torching that Michigan uh, defense over there. So. That was a game where it's like, all right, what type of team is this going to be? And I know, you know, it's still a rebuild. They still went two and five, but the two wins that they did have, those wins are different than beating Rutgers. Like, would you rather have Northwestern or Michigan or like Rutgers and Maryland as your two wins or something like oh, that? Oh, you know? it's, it's the most successful, enjoyable two-win shitty season ever for <laughs> yeah. that reason, those distinctions. Exactly. So, and I think I, I remember asking Mel, like, hey, is there anything you, does this, sort of show that you're making progress. Like, I think that was after the Northwestern win. He's like, absolutely. I feel like guys are buying in. This year is all about building culture. I know that's kind of a cliche, but he really believes in that. And I think his his uh, definition of culture is, you know, he wants to make this roster as competitive as, as it can be. If you don't love football, if you're not willing to sweat it out and, you know, put your whole life into this game, he doesn't want you on the team. That's kind of his mentality. So um, he wants guys that embrace competition, that embrace like fighting for spots in the depth chart. Um, and if you think that things are just going to get handed to you, that's just not how it's going to play out. So I think that's what this year was about. And if you can sprinkle in a couple of wins like Michigan Northwestern, you got to feel pretty good about that, in my opinion. And I think it's fair to raise the expectations a little more as you go forward. But for year one, under the circumstances, I think that's pretty solid. What do you see from him in terms of the emphasis on the Michigan game? Because that was something that a lot of people felt were lacking over the years until Antonio shows up and it becomes sort of the the bell cow for the entire program. Some people might say 
you know, almost to an embarrassing level, but I thought it was effective. Do you, do you think that he has that, he's embracing that hatred for Michigan? Do you think he's, he gets that? Um, I think hate's a strong word. Uh, like D'Antonio, I would use that word. It does not him. seem the same. <laughs> right. Right. I think, but they're different dudes, you know, they have different personalities. Um, Tucker is very much, you know, he's talked about neutral thinking and, uh, you're not getting too high in one particular moment, not getting too low. That's what he's all about. Um, I think he got that from Trevor Moad. Trevor Moad. And, yep. uh, you know, back when he was with Saban, that was really big um, in Alabama and previous stops. So he's kind of brought that to Michigan State, and that's like his big thing. So, yeah, I think you'll hear him in comments before a Michigan game and say, oh, yeah, we don't like those guys. But, you know, I think internally he's just like, this is another game. We got to go out and beat these guys, you know. Um, you know, I don't, th- I don't think he'll ever put the same amount of emphasis on this specific game that D'Antonio did because D'Antonio, you know, that was a driving force behind a lot of his best teams, a lot of his, like, uh, that whole mentality of, well, people are overlooking us, so why can't we win, you know? And I think uh, Tucker is probably doing it a different way. Doesn't mean it can't be effective. Um, I, I think fans probably more appreciate the D'Antonio style of just coming out and, you know, dogging them every chance he gets and things like that. And <laughs> I think it worked for him. It was a way to motivate. He was a master motivator. And I think that really worked in his specific way. Tucker's coming in. He's doing a different style. So I think, uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point, but you know, he, from what I've heard, he gives these great locker room speeches and things like that. So he can fire up the team in other ways. So uh, in terms of Michigan week, I guess we'll have to see, but Hey, you got him ready to play this year. Their graphics team that he has up there uh, are just phenomenal. Unreal. I yeah. mean, they're, and that was a big point. I, I was talking to Brian Masalam, MSU trustee, and I honestly can't remember if this part was on the mic or after the show, but nothing like off the record. But he was saying the big point of emphasis for them, Mel Tucker coming in, was I need a budget for graphics and social media and things yeah. like that. That that was like a huge thing for him where most guys maybe not even, you know, that may not be on the radar, yeah. but he he needed a set budget for that. And that it's been effective, mm-hmm. you know, so we'll get a little bit more just personally, I'm very into the contrast and where the program's going, but I want to really quick say you're a writer for the athletic. We're doing a fun little promotion for you guys because I've been an early supporter of the athletic. Awesome. So I've been talking to James L. Edwards, a third, who's a friend of yours, friend of mine mm-hmm. talking about, I want to get, you know, Max Boltman, great Red Wings writer. I want to get you guys out there even more. Not that you need my help. But we are doing a fun little promotion for this show and any show going forward where someone from The Athletic joins us. So we are giving away two, not one, but two annual subscriptions to The Athletic. You guys make it very easy (laughs) to give subscriptions. So we're giving away two and you can enter by sharing this episode on Facebook. It doesn't have to be live. It can be after the fact. So if you're listening to this after the fact, no problem. You can share us on Facebook or and or retweet the live feed on my Twitter feed at Darko State News. If you retweet it or share it on Facebook, either one, both will have you even more. You will be entered and we will pick two winners to receive an annual subscription to The Athletic by uh, before the end of this week. It's phenomenal. You guys are phenomenal. That's what's phenomenal. And, and the good thing with you guys, a lot of people don't realize that you get the whole package with that subscription. It's not just Detroit. Absolutely. So, yeah, we'd appreciate you share this, retweet the, the Periscope link or share the Facebook Live, whatever you do. Uh, that will get you in and we will pick those two winners before the end of this week. So appreciate your support and appreciate The Athletic, who just you guys do a bang up job. So let's get into this Mel Tucker, D'Antonio thing a little bit more. Yep. 
we talked a little bit about a, a downgrading in intensity that Mark D'Antonio was so intense steam coming out of the ears. I had people up there telling me that they think that's why he kind of burned out when he did. You just can't maintain that level of intensity for 20 years. It's just, Tough. he just Tough. burned out. So how are things different now in the program? You touched on it a little bit, you know, the Trevor Moad, neutral thinking, don't get too high, too low. You covered a little bit of the D'Antonio era at the tail end. You right. weren't there for the heyday, but you saw it. What are the contrasts that you're seeing? Is there anything other than just sort of this more chill attitude up there? The funny thing is, I don't even know if I would describe Mel as chill. I think in terms of how he might approach rivalry games, you know, he, he said, like, this is a big game for us. And I believe him when he says that. But at the same time, he wants to win every game. So I don't know how much more stock he puts into one than the other. But what I've heard, like, in terms of intensity, like, that dude is in your ear in practice. He's in your face. He's got a whistle ready to blow at any point. Like, that's kind kind of how he is in practice, and you know I think towards maybe the tail end of D'Antonio's career he had kind of fallen off a little bit in that regard, at least in, in practice and things like that. And that's something the players said uh, when we got to talk to him this year, um, just saying, "Yeah, Mel is really intense. He's really in your face. Like he gets on us for every little detail, and he's all about that." And I think that's something he got from Saban. You know, Saban is very detail, process oriented, all that stuff. And I think Mel is cut from the same cloth in a way. Um, so I think. For him, especially in year one, he's going to hammer home the detail to make sure that you know what he's all about. Because I think part of it, part of it is building his own culture, but also seeing who wants to fit into that and who responds well to that. You know, they're evaluating every single thing that happens, like from your nutrition, how you take care of your body, your strength and conditioning results. Like they monitor everything about uh, individual players in this program. So, again, a big part is main figuring out who I want to build around, who I want on the roster next year, um, who's going to be a player that we like to keep on. And maybe who got who, like we've seen a lot of movement in the transfer portal, right? So uh, maybe who isn't exactly a good fit. And um, I, you know, it's tough to say because D'Antonio was a guy who probably kept some players a little bit too long, um, you know, was giving out extra years when, when he could and things like that to guys that probably, you know, could have just finished up their career and things like that. And I, I think that's his loyalty um, that went on to his coaching staff as well which kind of, uh, I think, maybe hurt him down the stretch there. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tucker is very much a results guy, and uh, he wants to see you, uh, you know, produce as soon as, soon as possible. Otherwise, he's going to look for someone else that can. And you mentioned it. There is a 12-car pileup in the transfer portal out of town. <laughs> and I know it's a case-by-case basis, and it differs. Sometimes, you know, they're maybe being pushed out through uh, just a diminishing role. Other times it may be something, look, I just don't like this coaching staff. Do you get the sense that it's Mel Tucker choosing to diminish guys in their role and, and they're leaving just because they want to play? Or are there guys that would play, but they just don't like them for whatever reason? Like if you had to attribute it to one thing or the other in mass, the, the general feeling, why are guys flooding out of town? Because it's been a crowded portal out of town. Yeah. And I think. Um, whenever you have a new coach, there's bound to be attrition and guys leaving and figuring out, hey, this is not what I signed up for. So I'm going to try to you know, maybe turn to my plan B option out of high school or try to go somewhere else and figure out a better fit. I think with this specific situation, Mel is very much a guy who wants the players that he wants. And that's not to say he'll push kids out, but he's also very honest with guys. He'll be like, hey, I don't know if you have a rule here going forward. You can battle it out, stay, figure that out. But um I think he's probably had some conversations like that. And I think that's why you have seen a lot of guys leave after the season. I think the other part, though, is because there was no spring football. Spring football is always a time where you see guys leave. I think Michigan State had maybe three or four guys even, um, you know, the year before with D'Antonio leave after spring football. 
and guys even, you know, into the season in the transfer portal in 2019. So I think after spring football is usually a time where guys know where they stand and they can make a choice for themselves. Hey, maybe this isn't a good fit for me. And because we didn't have that, I think maybe if there were four or five, five or six guys that would have left in the spring, they wanted to play out the season, figured out, hey, maybe I'm lower on the depth chart than I wanted to be. I don't know my role here going forward. I don't know if I'm a piece they want to build around. Let me look at my other options. And I think with the NCAA this year and, and guys being able to leave and go where they want with uh, pretty much immediate eligibility right now, it's like, why not? And I, so I think it's a, it's a combination of some things where, you know, guys are probably figuring out later rather than sooner where they stand with the team and also a lot more flexibility with the transfer portal. So, yeah, so that's an interesting take. And I, I appreciate it because I honestly didn't know where it landed because the natural inclination for rival fan bases, which I get it because everyone does it, is to say, look, guys are fleeing this program. They yeah. hate this guy. Yeah. Your general take, again, there might be some exceptions. It's a long list of players. But your general feeling is that it's more Mel Tucker initiated. Not that he's pushing him out, but it's been initiated where, look, you're probably not going to have a prominent role here. And then they left more so than Mel's dying for these guys to stay right. and he's fleeing town. So that's a, that's a key distinction. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about what kind of guy he's going for. And you said that he's very open about that. And this is what we're going to pull this quote. This has been something I've brought up a couple times on this show, and it really frames the whole thing. And I know you know a thing or two about size of recruits. You oh, get yeah. teased out of constantly. So this is Mel Tucker. This was actually right before he got to Michigan State, but he said things similar along the way in East Lansing. Quote, I don't even want them on my recruiting board unless they have size. Like, we're not even going to recruit them because if you make an exception, you're going to have a team full of exceptions. There might be a kid that's six feet, 245 pounds at defensive end that wants to come, and he might be a good player. But at the end of the day, you end up playing against Georgia or Alabama, and that kid will have a hard time holding up. End quote. That's Mel Tucker on his recruiting strategy. So he has a model. He wants size. He almost never wants to deviate from that. And that is, speaking of deviations, a pretty big deviation from Mark D'Antonio where you had guys of all shapes and sizes and speeds and, you know, just every type of body and every type of position it felt like. We had everything but a fat quarterback. And that's a big deviation. The the thing that I've taken from that quote, obviously, you can say, okay, he wants big guys. He wants the mall guys. That's what he wants to do. That's the takeaway everyone has. But my bigger takeaway was invoking – Alabama, invoking Georgia. He's saying, I'm watching the college football playoff and I'm looking at these smaller guys get pushed around if they even get that far. You know, again, Washington squeaks in and gets blasted. This is sort of setting a different tone where he's not recruiting to win the Big Ten. He's recruiting to get to the big stage and actually be competitive when he gets there. Do you think this is crazy? Am I reading that wrong? It seems to be where he's going with it. No, I think you're absolutely right. And when you've coached at places like Alabama and Georgia, like he's not just saying that to say it. He knows what it takes because he's been at those places. Right? Yes. Um, won a national championship on Nick Saban's staff in 2015, that team that beat MSU in the playoff. Um, you know, went to Georgia with uh, Kirby Smart, um, gets to a national championship with them. Like he's, he's been at these programs. He understands like what it takes. He's seen the big bodies that you need up front to push guys around in the, in the, the trenches and, you know, the athletes that you need on the outside. So he has not just size, but he also has athleticism requirements. He's got basically a five-point system that, okay, if a guy is maybe lacking a little bit of height, again, they're not going to take six-foot defensive ends or anything like that, but 
Maybe you can sacrifice a little bit of height if you have a little bit more explosion off the line of scrimmage or something like that, you know? So I think they have a very specific system and, and a model for the player that they want. And again, that all goes back to these SEC days. And I think when you're talking about going beyond the Big Ten, I mean, again, he's a big picture thinker. So he could see Michigan State as a sleeping giant. You know, we got to the college football playoff in 2015. Who's to say we can't get back, right? Maybe the next time we get back, we have players that are bigger. Maybe, you know, you're not going to get the five-star guys that are running four fours that are six, six defensive ends. Like that's, that's tough to do. Yes. But if you can get a six, six DN who has got some bend and, and, you know, maybe some more power than speed or something like that, you can offset in different ways. You can match up physically. And uh, that's what you need against those teams. Otherwise you're going to get blown out of the water. Like we saw five, six years ago. So um, I think that's his mindset when it comes to recruiting. And obviously recruiting is what he's all about. Um, he's been doing it for so long. Like that's kind of like his bread and butter at this point. So I think when you hear him talk about recruiting, you see his eyes light up. You see like he has a clear preference and he's not going to deviate from that because he knows what he wants. And he thinks that's a blueprint to get back to uh, where MC was a couple of years ago. I think it's fascinating because when Mark D'Antonio was hired in 2007, he talked openly about winning the Big Ten and getting to the Rose Bowl, which it's easy to forget now. At the time, that seemed a little crazy. Michigan State was down for 15, uh, longer than that, almost 20 years they were down. Hadn't been in a long time to Pasadena. It just, it almost seemed crazy. Michigan State's going to go toe for toe with Michigan at the time. Hindsight's 2020. But even as good as it, that Mark D'Antonio era was, and even though they got to the college football playoff, that was never discussed. It was always, at least not that I'm aware of, it was always win the Big Ten. We want to go to the Rose Bowl. That was the Holy Grail. Win your rivalry games, win the Big Ten. College football playoff, I don't want to say it was incidental, but it wasn't even like on the radar. It happened. It was wonderful to get there. It's an incredible accomplishment. I think it's interesting that the, the target has moved, where you don't hear Mel Tucker really talking about winning the Big Ten or going to the Rose Bowl, although I'm sure he would enjoy it very much. But they are going for national title contention. It seems crazy. I thought they were crazy when they were talking about going to the Rose Bowl 13 years ago. So it's a bigger step. You agree that that seems to be the goal. Do you think it's a reasonable goal? Maybe, you know, it's hard to pick anybody but Bama to win the national title or Clemson. But is it reasonable that they can get back to that final four? And we'll talk about po possible expansion later, but back to that final four and be competitive against Bama. Do you think that's even uh, semi-realistic? Not saying you're predicting it. Yeah. Semi-realistic. See, I can't buy it, and I want to. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what he's thinking, what Mel's thinking, he absolutely thinks it's possible. I'm you're probably, skeptical. I'm probably living more skeptical just yeah. naturally. I'm I mean, with you. I'm with you. I mean, but again, like uh, he's been there. So I think maybe he's, he's got this drive to where, yeah, we can do this. Like, why not? Like, why not us? Again, for some of us that have watched Michigan State over the years, it's kind of like, well, you can get there. We've seen them get there. Can you match up once you get there? That's the thing. And I think we're talking about going beyond Big Ten championships. I think part of it is like implied, like in order to get to the playoff, you got to if you're, if you're Michigan State, you got to win the Big Ten. You got to maybe go eleven and one, twelve and one. Yeah, that's um, goal one. Yeah, for sure. So I think part of that is implied if you do want to get to the playoff. But I think again, the whole recruiting mindset is once we get there, like he's looking beyond that, you know. And I think you can throw Ohio State in there as well. Like if you want to beat Ohio State, I was on the field in 2019 after Michigan State and Ohio State played. I'm standing next to Chase Young. I'm like, this dude is big as hell. He's six six, like runs a four four. Like these dudes are like. Growing on trees at the school and Michigan State and other guys in the Big Ten, like 
just aren't getting those types of dudes. So if you can add a guy that's 6'6 six, six or 6'5 and has some size, maybe, again, you're not going to get the total package like the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world. But, you know, he's thinking long term. Like, we want to get these guys in, develop them. We trust our coaching to, to coach those guys up. Ron Burton is one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Yes. So if you can get a kid with the frame in his hands, the idea is he'll develop them. And I think that's why he handpicked his staff the way he did. And, you know, I think he trusts his recruiting and his evaluation and, and the guys that they're bringing in to maybe get there. It's not going to be right away. It's not going to be overnight. Ohio State looks like it's not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. But uh, maybe once they get this thing rolling, you get to consistently eight, nine wins, nine, ten wins, and then maybe you go from there. I'll tell you, I'm enjoying the hell out of the breath of fresh air that he's bringing and in a number of ways. But the social media stuff, like you can be a curmudgeon. You, Tom Izzo hates it. Mark D'Antonio was technically on there. I don't think he was actually like sitting on his iPhone tweeting anything. I don't, it's I don't think so either. <laughs> you agree? Very yeah. packaged. Just, hey, go green. Spartans will. Victory yeah. for MSU hashtag. Like, even if he is doing it, it was pretty hollow, pretty, yeah. pretty cookie cutter. Mel Tucker's smoking a cigar. That went viral. He, you know, he's doing his, what, what shoes he's wearing, what Nike's. Sneaker he's, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Sneaker Saturday. And that stuff, it, it's fun. And we had, we still have one of the biggest curmudgeon coaches in college athletics in Tom Izzo, whom I love. Not a knock on him, but it's just a fact. He openly hates Twitter. Can you imagine if he ever did make a Twitter? I, he, he never he will. But I don't even know what it would look like. like. What would he I do? I would love to see him actually controlling his own Twitter and just like tweeting his thoughts about how much he hates Twitter. It would be. Yeah, you're right. Just <laughs> he's on Twitter to bomb Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, that'd be interesting. It, just his unfiltered thoughts would be fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, that's something I think we all miss. Like we're all missing out on a Tom is own not having a Twitter yeah. account. Look, you know, some people think it's silly and it's superfluous and it doesn't really matter. I disagree. I'm curious where you stand on it because look, like I'm a, a a stiff, lame white dude in his mid thirties, and and just I'm about as lame as they come, and I'm eating that shit up. Young recruits have to like that stuff, right? You cover the yeah. scene. That stuff actually does matter, right? It's not just fun for me sitting in my basement. Um, uh, it sounds maybe a little bit shallow, but a key part of recruiting is showing interest, and especially in a year like this and and last year where you can't go out in person and you can't bring them to campus and you can't show off your facilities, you got to, you got to pivot and, and kind of, you know, go from there. And I think what they did last year, Mel Tucker really came in and just kind of let them do what they wanted to do. And you mentioned like a budget and everything, like they have a huge staff now with recruiting the graphics and creative directing and video and all that stuff. Derek Markle coming in, leading that team from Colorado. Like I've talked to all those dudes and they just love the freedom that they have, you know, like, Derek's told me, yeah, I've been up at 3 a.m., had an idea and just started working on it and had it ready like the next day. Um, you know, a lot, other times like a Michigan State assistant coach will say, hey, can you make this? We have a Louisiana recruit. He loves this rapper. Can you, you know, make a graphic with him on like an album cover? They're, so they're yeah. going tailor made. Yeah. See, and, I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, I think they uh, they had a NCAA, like the video game, and when that was announced, I was coming back with a new graphic that they put out, I think last week, um, just kind of taking the player's number of a specific recruit that they're going after and then sending out those with like their faces and everything on there. I think that yeah. was pretty cool. Like seniors, yeah. you're 16, 17 years old, seeing yourself on a video game cover, like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're going to eat that up. Yeah, and they do that, and a lot of it is, you know, personalized. It, I think when um, they're allowed to contact 2022 recruits without some restrictions, um, and I think it was September 1st, like they were 
sending out like these graphics with like handwritten notes with like the coach's handwriting and everything. And like, that's the stuff that they notice those prospects, those recruits, they love that stuff. It shows them that you want them, that you're a top they're you know, they're a top priority for your program along with the traditional things like calling them and telling them, Hey, this is how I see you fitting into my program. Like you kind of need to do it all in the year 2020, 2021. I think with D'Antonio, one thing I learned from talking to people that had been around him in previous years is that he kept things more internal. So like, it's not that they weren't making those graphics. It's just that the graphics and the videos were being put out for big games as motivation because, you know, D'Antonio wasn't like a master, you know, speech giver at halftime or, you know, he's probably had his, his moments, but I don't think that's what he was exactly known for. What I, what I heard was that he would put on a big video before in the locker room before a game, like Michigan, it would pump up the entire team. They would go out. They had a lot of success against Michigan. So it was more tailor made toward his players. Whereas Mel Tucker, he's like, yeah, let's bring in, let's bring in you from Colorado. You guys are holdovers. Yeah, we'll keep you. Um, go ahead and put, give me the best work. Like, I want to see what you guys can do. And they've been killing it this past year. And it's, it's really cool getting to know those dudes because I think they wanted an opportunity like that. Not that they didn't have it because, again, they were doing it more internally. But now their work's like out on Twitter for people to see, you know, the fans are loving it. The recruits are loving it. And I think it's just a better system for everyone. And they had one of the biggest gains. I'm sure you saw that graphic that was going around on like engagement on social media. Yeah. When Michigan State had what, like the 10th most in the entire country or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, they were like an increase from the previous year. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, and you can see the effect of that increased budget, increased emphasis of, you know, they went from a total afterthought in terms of volume of engagement with recruits to one of the best 10 in the country. You're up yeah. there with like LSU in terms of, you know, people commenting, retweeting things of that nature. So it's, it's been a huge jump. Do you, do you know Blaze Watson? Got to know him a little bit. On that team? Yeah. yeah. You know, he works with us on, he made, oh, like the, he? he made the graphic that you're in with the green background. Oh, no okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Blaze does a lot of graphic work for us. So yeah. And it, it's just funny. Cause I admired so much what Michigan state was doing with their stuff. And I was like, wonder if one of those guys will do some freelance yeah. work. And Dude, they Blaise, do. Blaise so. is unreal. Like, yeah, oh, he's the really, whole team is really, but yeah. Blaze has done some really cool stuff. Well, I've only worked with Blaze. I know they're all great, but yeah, yeah. Blaze is, is the best. And I love to have that team. And I love to have like all, what are there like seven of them? Just line them up and yeah. shoot the shit with them. They're yeah. just, they're, they're quite a crew. So I want to transition a little bit to this. And we're talking about Michigan state football, trying to play in the big boy pool and mm-hmm. punch at a higher weight. And I think a, a way you can do that obviously is with a, an infusion of cash. Big story this week, Michigan State alum, former walk-on, Matt Ishbia, a billionaire, I think, now, technically, makes a $32 million donation to his alma mater. There's a lot of talk about where is this $32 million going. I know there's been some breakdowns. You've discussed it a little bit. Some's going to basketball. Some is going to football. Mm -hmm. Do you see this as a seismic change? Is this going to really help with what they're doing up there, specifically with the football program? We'll keep it there. I think the people involved certainly do. And, you know, you hear money get tossed around. I think Auburn just raised like $91 million the other day. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you know, it's a bigger fish. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I do think this can make an impact. And I think even a couple of years ago, I remember Mark D'Antonio said that he um, took Bill Beekman to Clemson for a, a tour of their facility. And I think the reason he did, he did that, and I think he explained it to beat writers like a couple of years ago, was that, um, hey, in 2015, Michigan State and Clemson were both in the college football playoff. What's happened since then? Clemson's taken a leap. We've kind of fallen back. Now, there are a number of reasons why that's happened. Clemson's gotten some pretty good players. When you have Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, like pretty much back to back, you're going to win some games, yeah. obviously. 
But uh, one of the things he said was, hey, we can make up for this a little bit if we have better facilities. So let's try to raise some money behind the scenes. Like we'll improve we'll the uh, football facilities and um, try to see if we can use it as a recruiting pitch and things like that. So I think he was kind of on top of this years ago, and that was probably a passion project for him down the stretch in his career. And even if he, he knew that he wouldn't be around and really see the benefits of that, I think that was something that was important to him um, enough to where he would fly Beekman out to Clemson and take that tour with Dabo and those guys down there. So again, I, I think looking now and to see a $32 million donation, 20 million of that is going to Michigan State football. You've got a head coach and Mel Tucker who values recruiting, will use literally anything as a recruiting tool, recruiting pitch. So when we talked to him on Friday, he was like, yeah, I've already used this in conversations with recruits. Like, absolutely. This is going to be a selling point for us. This is, we're going to have um, a facility that will rival the top ones in the country. And it's not like the Scandalaris building is like that old. I think that was like 2007 project or something like that. But uh, I mean, if you can upgrade some of those things, like they're getting a new weight room, new nutrition center, like Mel is big in nutrition. I think he sees that as like a future uh, key element in terms of individual body shaping. And, you know, a guy comes into overweight, you can give him a personalized approach to get that down, get the bad weight down and build back up with, with uh, muscle. And uh, I think he sees that as a huge part. And when you have $20 million to kind of play with, why wouldn't you use that as a selling point? I do think it's funny that they're calling the new football building the, the, Tom, Izzo. <laughs> the Tom Izzo football building. It's like, hey man, he uh, loves football, you know. <laughs> I know he is. He's a football fan, but it's just odd. It's, it's, it's like weird. you know, if you build a new hockey rink and you call it the Mark Antonio Arena yeah. or something, it's just it's a little odd. But you know, who's going to complain about whatever Matt wants to do with the thirty-two yeah. million? You donate thirty-two mil. I think yeah. you can do whatever you want. So with that. <laughs> that was my only. I said not even to call it a qualm. I just it was funny. Yeah. But there have been some people that look. No offense if you're in this basket of, of people, but I, I just, there's always a wet blanket and the wet blanket's already out saying, what about volleyball? What about the swimming team? They got rid of swimming. Why, why don't yeah. you donate to them? I think it's ridiculous because those programs were never sustaining on anything other than the backs of the football and basketball program. They were never this revenue sport. They were always surviving on the backs of these two programs. Anyway, do you buy any of that stuff that shame on, on Matt for not allocating some funds to ping pong. I mean, I'm not going to tell a man how to spend his money, especially if he's Thank given you. 32 mil. That's just people are personally, complaining I mean, about everything. Yeah. And what people don't understand is like this money is all at the discretion of the people that are taking, you know, di distributing this behind the scenes. Like Matt has talked to Beekman for months and however long their first conversation started. And, you know, I think Bill came out pretty, pretty uh, clearly and was like, I mean, our decision remains like, we're sorry, guys. We're we're kind of moving on from that. So it's really unfortunate. You feel for the swimmers. Oh, I, I, it's swimmer divers, obviously. Like you, you got to be heartless not to feel for those kids. But yep. I mean, he's kind of made it clear, and it's like I don't see that changing, and that it's it's really unfortunate. But I think that's just the way it is at this point. It's a shame at a place like Michigan State with you know just all the resources they do have. But you know yeah. that's it's a casualty, and it's not exclusive to Michigan State. It just, you know, I hate to say it, but that's where a lot of programs have landed in the recycle bin at best. And it's yep. just a bummer, but that's what it is. Everyone complains about everything. Like Jeff Okuda was in the news, the Lions cornerback for donating $1,000 to the victim of uh, Andy Reid's son's uh, alleged yeah, DUI. So and he was getting shit. Uh, the, the comments, people were emailing Kyle Meinke, uh, the beat writer for MLive, saying it's only 0.05% of his annual salary or something, you know, or whatever it is. And it's, it's like me, donate his whole salary. It's like me donating $20. It's like yeah. the guy donated $1,000. What did you donate? It's like it's everything's yeah. bad and everyone sucks. But yeah. anyway, I'm happy to have it. And I think you need 
that type of cash infusion to be competitive. And I, I didn't know the part about football, but I'm, uh, you know, with their training, um, and nutrition, uh, emphasis, I think that's a good thing. I know a lot of, um, can't speak for what, where it's at now. My buddy played for the Michigan hockey team and he used to hang out with a lot of the football players. This was like, Oh five. Mm-hmm. They, they would have like big Macs every day. It was, <laughs> it was like, you know, their team meal was yeah. like, sliders and shit it's like i always thought that was weird it's like you're giving them fried food like like they're having like mcgriddles on game day for their meal and stuff it's just bizarre that that was a while ago probably won't see that much these days yeah well good mel tucker needs to get rid of it if if it's not already gone so football is your bread and butter that's what you know you do you occasionally dip your toe into the uh basketball pond and i know you know quinn brendan quinn up there is we were saying before the show maybe the best sport trader in the whole country yeah but occasionally when he's writing one of his 75,000 word exposés <laughs> on God knows what you do dive in. I want to touch very briefly on Michigan state basketball. Good win tonight. Very excited about the two game winning streak. It's a huge deal for this year, but what do you make of their struggles? I mean, what do you, what do you think of them? Yeah. I mean, I think before the year, obviously when you lose a guy like Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman for that matter, like you kind of wonder, okay, what do we have coming back? And, You know, to me, it's like they have good individual pieces, but it's like, can they all fit together to form a competent team? And that was kind of my question before the season. Obviously, it's played out. And the question that probably right now, the answer is probably no. Like they've been struggling, kind of bounce back here. But at this point, probably on the outside looking into the tournament, they've got some work to do with this final stretch coming up. Um you know, I know Izzo has kind of rallied the troops late in the season. That's kind of his whole thing. Even before I got to Michigan State, like that's something I knew as an outsider. Peak at the right time. Yeah. They, 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 they may have waited like a week too long. Right. But we'll, see, we'll see. January, February, Izzo. Yeah. Thing. I, I don't know if that's going to happen this yeah, year. I, they waited a week too long to turn on the Jets. Yeah. So right now it's like they're kind of, they're kind of, um, kind of treading water until they can kind of get things on the right track. And I don't know if they will. They, they're running out of time quickly. They've got a tight pack schedule because they were off for so long. And, I don't know. It's kind of tough right now. I think they're again, they're probably on the outside looking in at this point, but uh, I guess they have a chance. They got some games. I coming guess. Up, I mean, a mediocre Penn State trying to be team, an optimist here. Like, I know I, I don't I'm know. with you. I want to be there, but a mediocre Penn State team. It's not an impressive the win. Like, they, well, sure. not an impressive win. And they had two looks at the basket. One of them, a great look to win. Honestly, <laughs> so like, that like, was an absolutely great. look. Yeah. Was, the first the first yeah. three point miss, the guy was just wide open. Yeah. It was a great play out of the, the timeout. And it's like, so, you know, obviously, you know, if, if you're in as balls, it'd be your uncle. But like. This is it's not like an impressive win if you're looking for a harbinger of things to come. It's just a fatally flawed team. I'm looking more towards next year, and we'll finish on Michigan State basketball with this. I'm I'm curious. Do you think that Amani Bates actually shows up in East Lansing next year? <laughs> He's a transcendent. Some say the best since LeBron, which we've heard like 12 times since LeBron was in high school at St. Vincent St. Mary's. Do you think he actually shows up? He's a commit technically. Yeah, see, that's really tough because even when he committed out, I think everyone was caught off guard. Like, wait, really? He just committed? I mean, if he was going to go to college, Michigan State was like one of the few schools that were still recruiting. Yeah, no one even thought they had a chance. Thought they had a shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also don't know how the whole eligibility thing shakes out. Like, like how? Like, if he does play in college, would he have to play two? Like, could he leave for the the G League or you know? I, I don't know. There's some questions there if he just wants to go pro or something like he's got some options so i 
I would say maybe 50-50 at this point. Yeah, I, I would be surprised I, yeah, if I don't he shows know. up. Well, I, I'm like 80-20 that he's not. I'll be okay. pleasantly surprised. But I was just curious for your thoughts on that, you know, it's a, whatever it is. So I'll pivot off Michigan State. Before we get to the speed round, I, I want to back you know, into the football sandbox, but on a national level, more wider-ranging topic. I always try to keep an open mind on things. And I, I, my wife calls me stubborn, but I really don't think I am about sports stuff. I, I really ha- I've changed my mind on a number of things. And something I used to be a hardliner on was four teams in the college football playoff. I just I did not want eight. I didn't want six with a bye. I didn't want any of that stuff. I'm starting to get away from that a little bit. I'm not completely off it, but I'm starting to see the merits of an eight team playoff finally I think it's getting a little stale seeing Clemson Alabama Clemson Alabama Mm -hmm. Ohio State you know LSU cycles and it's the same like five or six teams for those four spots over and over again yeah I don't think if you expand the final results are going to change I just don't I think you could go to 16 and it's still going to be some combination of Bama Ohio State LSU Clemson at the end where do you stand on that do you want to see an expansion so I used, I used to think four was fine. And the reason for, for that line of thinking was because, I mean, again, like I feel like towards the end of the season, when it gets to those final two, those are usually the two best teams. Yes. And like you can kind of figure out. And I think some, like when you see a team like Washington get blown out or Michigan State, no offense to the people listening, but it's like they're clearly a top two, top two, top three maybe if there's a close game like like last year's like Clemson, Ohio State game. Um you kind of can narrow it down. So I think four was fine because there's usually a four team that just really doesn't belong there. Um, but as we've gone along, I think you can make a case that, you know, the, the boys club at the top with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, I think that's kind of, you know, and Georgia, I would throw in there, LSU, those, those schools. Like those, those five schools have kind of narrowed the market on the top prospects and recruiting. And I think that's trending in a way, not that they weren't getting those guys before, but I think when – if you're if you're a 16, 17, 18 year old kid trying to, you know, four or five star guy trying to find your school, trying to get exposure, maybe with NIL coming, all that stuff. It's like I look at that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm definitely going to one of those schools if I have an offer, right. a committable offer. And I think if you want to have a conversation about expanding the playoff, you can also, I think, make the case that that would expand the recruiting map. And some guys would be, you know, maybe more willing to kind of look outside the traditional you know, national powers and the blue bloods. And go to school where, yeah, well, I can be a star here. I won't be on a team like where I have to like be a three-year backup before I get my chance on one of those teams or whatever. So I don't know. Um, I kind of go back and forth because again, I feel like we pretty much have an idea of who the best teams are with the four-team playoff. But if you want to make a case just to make it more entertaining, because these games aren't like fun to watch at this point, like in my opinion at least. Um, I, w- I would certainly not not disagree with you if you do want to expand it. Yeah, you're laying out the argument. And my brother, Sean, has been like riding me on this topic for maybe like two or three years because he was well aware that I was such a hard liner mm-hmm. for the reasons you're laying out. And I don't think you can manufacture parity. I think those same five or six teams are going to be sharing those four spots. And if it goes to eight, they'll still be in that final four yeah. after they bomb Washington yeah. or, you know, bomb Northwestern. Can you imagine like an eight seed Northwestern against Bama? I'm sorry. I, I love Cinderella stories. <laughs> That's going to be a, a disaster. So I, I, I think the whole like entertainment angle is overrated. Those games at eight, one, the seven, two, 
most of the time is going to be a blowout. And I think that's what we're going to see. We're already having a problem with Notre Dame getting in this Final Four. We're seeing too many blowouts anyway. Well, the conversation this year for that fourth spot, like Texas A&M, Notre Dame, it's like, okay, who lost by 30 points or who lost right. by 28? It's like, okay, We well, can't find four good ones now. Yeah, so that's I understand the point. That. Yeah, so it's like if we're sitting here trying to put lipstick on the Notre Dame-Texas A&M pig at the four seed, now we're going to add four more? Like how many times I, – I get like – I get the move to four. The move to four was good because you had cases like Auburn, the Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown team that didn't get to go to the dance that was extremely – uh, a great team that really probably should have been there. I, but you rarely see a team get screwed because they were the fifth seed and they should have been, you know, one of the best two teams or whatever. It's like yeah. you expanded it far enough, but the argument, and you made it, it's my brother's point, and I get it, is from an exposure standpoint, like, look, if I don't go to one of those schools right now, I have almost no chance to go to the college football playoff. Maybe once every five years on Michigan State gets in. Yeah. Whereas if you go to eight, now – like, I mean, Nebraska's down now, but if they ever get back, like a Nebraska, Wisconsin, even like a Michigan, that starts to look yep. more appealing. And it maybe levels it out a little bit in recruiting. That's the argument for it. So I'm kind of with you. I'm like, eh, I'm not convinced. But the fact that I've moved off a hardline stance at all, I guess, is my brother would call it progress. I mean, whatever. I don't know if it's progress or not. It's certainly a change. But so yep. that's that's that. So we are going to finish here. I know you watch every show. You've never missed a one. So you don't need me to explain what the speed round is, but we're going to get to it. So speed round is similar to word association, but not quite. You give me, I don't know, one, two, three, maybe four sentences tops. We're going to throw some stuff at you. You're not going to give me a Brendan Quinn 75,000 word response, <laughs> but, you know, more than more than three words, too. So we'll start here. We'll rip through them. This is curious for me. I don't know where it's going to land. I have no idea. The first coach to leave Michigan State, Tom Izzo or Mel Tucker? Who's gone first? One near retirement, one near a job with the SEC if he has any success at all. Yeah. Potentially. If Izzo wins a championship the next, like, few years, do you think he would ride off to the sunset? I, I do, especially especially if his son's out of there. I don't think he'll leave before Steven's gone, and Steven's a sophomore, so do the math. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll wipe this year out. They're not doing shit this year. But I think, I think he's here for two more years. I think he retires regardless after his son's gone. It's okay. not inside information. Yeah. but So if that's your argument, which it's mine, now you're saying, okay, does Mel Tucker have enough success that he gets an enticing job offer at Georgia or wherever? In a couple of years, but I don't know. I, if I had to say, I would guess Izzo's gone first. I would, I would agree. Yeah. Okay, so you agree. Yeah. Okay. Who wins the Paul Bunyan Trophy in 2022? Oh, I, I had a Michigan State uh, predictions for this year. So for 2021, I chose Michigan State. But you're talking 2022. Yeah, we're talking who wins the next one. I, I, I it's actually, that's a, that's a typo on our end. It should be 2021. 2021. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I said Michigan State. And I think when I said that, you know. So you picked Michigan State for 2021. I, I did. I don't know if I feel great about that. But <laughs> I, when I picked it, Jim Harbaugh didn't have a staff out. And, you know, I guess we'll see what some of the, the new. I'm sorry, I'm running long now. But uh, No, no, you're good. You're good. It's very loose. I do want to. I feel like I should explain this. No, so go I did, ahead. You I go did pick you Michigan State. Uh, I do like some of the hires that uh, Harbaugh's made. I think they're going to bring in good players. Not that that's really been an issue for them. Um, 
But my my thought process was, okay, Michigan State beat them in year one with a bad roster, in my opinion. Um, you know, that was their second game of the Mel Tucker An era. objectively bad roster. Yeah. Not your opinion. Yeah. Sorry. Go okay. ahead. Um, so I figured, you know, I think they'll probably be better next year. And I'm seeing what he's doing with these transfers and getting guys from the portal and going after the players he wants. So why not? Why not win two years in a row? So oh, I it's certainly not an insane. Yeah, it's not an insane prediction. I, yeah. I, I think if you had like the look ahead line in Vegas right now, I think Michigan would probably be favored. But yeah. who, who knows? So yeah. this is your speed round, not mine. Speaking of Michigan, we haven't talked much about them. The Jim Harbaugh contract extension. I, I think it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. The whole way it played out. It's odd to me. What did you make of that? I think he wanted to kind of look at the NFL interest that might be there for him. So yes. maybe just dragging it out to see if there's an out somewhere. And uh, I'm, I don't have any inside information there, but I'm just guessing that there wasn't a ton of interest or at least not enough for him to want to leave at this point. So, yep. you know, if it's either go to the NFL or stay at Michigan, I think his best option at that point was to stay at Michigan. Best so. for him, but from the Michigan perspective, what did you think of them continuing down this road that has not been successful? I don't know. Like this, this was a weird year and like they've had a pretty high floor with him. Obviously the biggest question is, can they get over the top? Which has the answer to that has been no so far. and. I don't know if they'll be able to do this with his whole, you know, staff shuffle. I don't want to compare it to D'Antonio a couple of years ago, but, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to get to a point where they're beating Ohio State consistently and winning the Big Ten. So if if you've hit your ceiling with Jim Harbaugh, maybe it is time to move on. But at the same time, I guess the grass is always greener. Yeah, right. You know, right. like Matt Campbell is not coming. He just signed an extension. So yep. I don't know which coaches would want to come there and, and can do a better job than what Harbaugh's gotten them back to, you know, where they were before with Brady Hoke. So I don't know. I, I, I get why they did it, you know, for the reasons you said, like, who are you going to hire to replace him? But it is, it's weird. And that's been one of my worst takes in history. I predicted he'd win multiple <laughs> national titles at Michigan. I guess that bet is still alive, but uh, not. He's still there. Too. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's still I'm, there. Not, I'm not licked yet. Yeah. So you're a Chicago guy. You're uh, born and raised in Chicago, right? Is my research too Born in Chicago, uh, grew up out in Aurora. And okay. My parents are back in Chicago. So, so you're, you're a Chicago guy yeah. through and through. You know, I lived there for four years. So cool. I lived in River North, love Chicago, yeah. hate their pizza though. Thoughts on Chicago Bro. style pizza? It's, it's terrible, right? You agree? Oh my God. You Don't like even this? Start it. Yeah, I love it's it. It's lasagna. Listen, listen, it's not. You're, you, oh, that's a James Edwards take right there. He's I, right. I, I He's smart. Yeah, what no, a he, he does that to troll me and I hate it so much. I'm not trolling you. It's terrible. It's okay. not terrible. Look how disgusting. Oh, that, that looks beautiful. What are you talking that about? That picture is a beautiful slice. That is so gross. See, here's the thing. Like, Deep dishes, like a tourist. It, if you're in Chicago, it's tourist pizza. Like you get it if you live out of town, you're you're visiting, or you've never been to Chicago. Um, ta- Chicagoans eat tavern style, like thin crust, you know, squares. Like that's real Chicago pizza. So I get people want to call Chicago deep dish lasagna and all that stuff. I will. I still love it. I think it's delicious. Oh, it's I so still bad. I still get it when I get, when I go home. But uh, man, I don't I don't appreciate Chicago pizza slander. And James Edwards knows that. Probably better than anyone else. Hey, slander. It's not slander if it's true, man. It is so bad. <laughs> right. Right? But I And I love everything else about Chicago. I got a picture of my Chicago map here from when I lived there four years ago on the studio wall. Okay. Nothing but love for Chicago, but my God, that pizza's gross. So anyway, it's your round, not mine. I keep hijacking your turn here. <laughs> so moving back into the Michigan State basket, this is interesting. I think I know where I stand, but I care more about what you think. True or false? MSU would have been better off and would be better off right now with Luke Fickle had he taken the offer. Um, 
That's tough. I, in, in my opinion, when those guys were being tossed out there, they were plan A, plan B maybe, or plan 1A, 1B. Um, in terms of first-year results, maybe Fickle, because Fickle kind of has a clear D'Antonio-style approach where, like, we're going to recruit Ohio, like, that's our bread and butter. You know, we're going to coach guys. Like, that, that's kind of, I feel like it would be a more seamless transition where Tucker's, like, SEC-style, like, I got to get my guys in here as quick as possible, flip the roster, and you know, we're on a, we're on a, a time crunch here. So it's tough to say. Um, I think Fickle's a, a tremendous coach. And I think whenever he does leave Cincinnati, he'll get a good job and he'll probably have some success there. But um, I'm still going with Mel Tucker. I think he's got a clear vision for what he wants. And that's when Mark D'Antoni retired at his press conference, like over almost a year ago, I think it's February 4th last year. So we passed that a little bit, but he said, MSU needs a coach with at least a three-year vision. Um, you know, he was saying, I can't even look recruits in the eyes and say, yeah, I'm going to be here for your entire time talking to a 2021 or 2022 prospect. Mel Tucker can do that. Like that's his whole thing. And I think eventually he's going to get the guys that he wants. I think he's going to be competitive in Michigan, in Detroit recruiting. Um, they're going national. They taking kids from Louisiana, New Jersey, Florida, Georgia. They want to go all over the map. So I think with that style, he kind of views Michigan state as, again, I don't want to call a sleeping giant because they have had success, but I think he sees, kind of untapped potential. And whereas I think Fickle might have a similar blueprint to D'Antonio, I think Tucker is more cut off that saving tree and he thinks that this program can go to higher places. So I think they're both good options. Yeah. I, they're completely different though. And you just Absolutely. laid out why the, the reason I would pick Fickle and I, and I like both a lot and I, mm -hmm. I have two paintings of Mel Tucker on my wall. I mean, that's <laughs> a big Mel Tucker guy. The reason I would pick Fickle is I actually have seen his team that he has led and that he built win double digit games in a season. Yeah. I've, I haven't seen Mel Tucker be even approaching 500 in his career so far. So it, it's for lack of opportunity. It's not like he had some roster that should have been great. So it's not like a, a, a demark, you know, like a, a demerit on him, yeah. but it's more of just an incomplete where fickle. I've yeah. seen it. He's got a track record. Right. Fickle. Yeah. And, sure. and that's the, so it's not like against Mel Tucker, but it's just, if you had to pick, I'd rather pick the guy that I've seen do it. So, yeah, so yeah. that's that. But you can't go wrong. Yeah. That's why it's a tough question. MSU's neon jerseys. <laughs> I, I hate these. What, what, you, you're a neon guy, though. What, you You've like, got tons of neon in your studio. What are you talking about? But I'm a traditionalist with jerseys, though. I, I, I like, like throwbacks. But this this looks like somebody threw up on something and, and, and put it on some cloth and told them to go wear it. You you actually like this stuff? Because my theory is that your public take on this is kind of a bit to troll people. You you actually I'll never tell. <laughs> let's out yourself right now. Is that you actually like that? I mean, for the those that are listen, just listening, we have the picture of the football. It's so bad. Listen, the worst part about that jersey is the giant state across the yes, chest. I agree. It doesn't with even that. fit on the jersey. I agree with that. There's the the John Mulaney bit where you write happy birthday and you run out of letters because you write it too big. <laughs> yeah, right, that's what right. that is right there, right? <laughs> right. So that's my biggest takeaway, um, biggest issue with that. The neon is fine. I think the pants kind of blind you when you're up in the press box. They kind of, you know, you're looking down at the field and <laughs> yeah. they kind of, you know. But I, I think if they were to take that, maybe put throw some black in there or a different color to kind of offset it. I don't think the white socks and the neon pants really look great together, but. You know, they were some, there were some games where they went all green pants, like darker green with the same jersey. Yeah. I thought those look fine. You throw in some green cleats and green gloves. It's not terrible. Again, the state thing is what, what throws me off. And that's what I'm really talking about. Look, I don't love the neon in any 
version of it the the michigan state like all lime neon things were so ugly but like the black and neons were actually kind of cool mm-hmm. but their choice in neon that stupid stayed across the chest yeah. it's just egregious it's so ugly very much for so. our audio listeners just google michigan state football neon jerseys and try not to operate heavy machinery because you might throw <laughs> up and hurt yourself easy, or easy somebody enough. else it's so bad and i love michigan state but come on that's that's like fire whoever came out again hey recruits love it you know, they love that. They like it. They like it. It's something uh, different. You know, these are 17 year old kids that grew up. They were born like, I know, but 2004, they, you know, <laughs> like, come on, man. That's so bad though. I, whatever. Okay. Oh, I, you know, whatever. It, that's that man. Chicago pizza slander and neon slander. I know. And I, you know, I love you, but we, we, we have to be honest here. And I, I, you know, I blew plenty of smoke up your ass. That's right. We'll finish here. Your MSU athlete road trip companion. You've covered the team for a few years. Just as a guy, you're you're driving cross country with somebody. Let's finish on this. Who's just been the best guy? Who you who you rolling with on a road trip? Uh, Kenny Wilkes. Kenny Wilkes. Yeah. Why? That dude's hilarious. He's funny guy. He's my, like one of my favorite. Him and Antoine Simmons are probably my favorite two players to interview. I love Simmons. Simmons is a great. He's a great interview. quote. Yeah. Yeah. He's. I mean, he was a guy that you could tell, like even as a junior, that he was going to take over. And be that voice for the team. Kenny's just such an oddball. Like he's telling stories about like fighting bats in the attic at Big Ten Media Days and all this weird stuff. Like I don't know. I think Kenny's hilarious, and we have a good, pretty good relationship. So I would probably, uh, I'd probably pick him to go on a road trip with. Oh, good deal. Yeah, I've never met Kenny or really heard anything about him, so that's interesting. So yeah, mine would probably be Darian Harris. He's obviously oh, he's a, a very former athlete at this point, but he's been in studio twice now, actually. But great guy. He's going to be a father. Congrats to him. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Congrats to Darian Harris. And uh yeah, he's he's honestly one of the nicest guys for Michigan State captain linebacker. Was on that uh, college football playoff team, the Rose Bowl team. Just salted the earth guy. I'd love to have him back too. He's got an official role up there again. Yeah. But uh man, you did a great job. A wonderful job by you today. Appreciate Cole. it. So I finally wore you down. Let me ask you. Six months, a year from now, are you down to come back? Yeah, let's do it. If you, as long as you don't get rid of the neon in your studio. I'm no, I'll keep back. it. I, I'm going to put more neon up <laughs> just go. for you. I'm not anti neon. I'm anti that neon. That's fair. It's egregious. Yeah. So let's, yeah, we'll leave it there with that. But <laughs> no, honestly, everyone should check your workout. We're going to be giving away two of those subscriptions to the athletics. So remember, go to my Twitter feed at Darko State News. It's a Periscope feed. Just retweet that. That works. Or go to our Facebook page and just share it. We will be giving away two of those. We are recording this, or we're broadcasting this live, also recording on a Tuesday night. By Friday, we will pick the two winners. And for those of you that don't win, seriously, if you have any disposable income to spare, The Athletic is the best buy in town. You guys are a conveyor belt of just fantastic work. I've been a big fan from day one. I've had a number of you guys on the show. You're one of my personal favorites. I just, I really enjoy your work. Continued success to you, and I hope you just keep doing it. Never get a career change because I love what you're doing. <laughs> Don't let them move you back to Missouri or, or yeah, covering the I'm Cincinnati good. Reds. You have to get my permission before you leave the <laughs> Michigan State football beat. Does that sound fair? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Sure. Yeah, I'll hold you to that. So thanks again to our sponsor, the Smuggler Sun, Virgil's Vineyard. Check them out again. Discount code Spiro at checkout for that discount. Thank you to Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the wall. Our producer does a fantastic job. He is a salt-of-the-earth guy himself. And Eric Williamson, our graphic design, set design guy, who says that no one is allowed to have a Pepsi on my table. That's him. That is not me. He's in his boxers on the couch watching the show live. Shout out to Eric. We love you. And our audience, thank you to you. You guys are what makes this thing work. You are what makes us tick. And a final thank you to Colton Pouncey from The Athletic. Drive safe out there, man. It's a little gross. We'll do.
Yeah. Roads aren't great, but I'll make it through. Yeah. And we appreciate you coming. So this has been the Spiro Avenue show episode, what, 20, 21. I don't know what we're at. It's been a lot. We appreciate you. We'll be back a couple days with Off the Curb. Next episode of Solo Show will be great. And if Brendan Quinn ever returns my text messages, maybe we'll have him on too. The Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro with Colton Pouncey. Thank you. We will see you in a couple days.